Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, December the 2nd, 2019, and today we are beginning a study on the epistle of 1 John. And we will look specifically at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And we come into the study of 1 John chapter 1 after looking at the book by Robert Coleman, The Master Plan of Evangelism, and looking at how we should proclaim the gospel and how we should disciple new believers. And we come into that study into 1 John, a beautiful letter of assurance to the believer. 1 John is a book that consistently assures the believer that eternal life is found by believing in the name of the Son of God, Jesus the Christ. False teachers had arisen from among the church. Some were teaching that Jesus wasn't human, that he wasn't the true Messiah. This was a time in the church when the apostles were growing older and there was a rapid church growth all over the Roman Empire. True doctrine was being lost and John was writing to reclaim it. John likely wrote 1 John from Ephesus where he had apparently relocated near the time of the fall of Jerusalem to the Romans in AD 70. The letter was most probably intended to be read by the church in Ephesus and other churches in the surrounding cities. Ephesus was a wealthy and highly influential port city on the west coast of Asia. It boasted the temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Ephesus was known in Paul's time as the greatest place for trade in the province of Asia Minor. These false teachers within the church claimed to be Christians, which confused the young church about whom to believe. And John wrote this epistle to give them a prescribed way to evaluate new teachers as they arose. First John has the answers. John knew the truth. And so he writes a letter to help the church know how to tell the children of God from the imposters. John combats false teachings with absolutes, truth and lies, light and darkness, love and hate, sin and righteousness, Christ and the Antichrist. John shows the church how to tell if they are children of God and how to tell if a teacher is trying to deceive them. So this letter is a letter written from a wise and loving father to a troubled church. John writes to older men, young men, and children, but he dresses all of them as little children, a term of endearment that a loving father would use for his child. John's theme of this letter makes three things very clear to the church. First, the children of God believe in Jesus Christ. You see, we are marked out as children of God. It's by our belief in Christ Jesus. And this is the hope of the gospel, that we believe in Christ Jesus. But number two, the second thing that we see that John has in this epistle is the children of God keep his commands. Just like my children in a grocery store, they will do what their mother or father tells them, Lord willing. However, if a stranger was to come up and give them commands, they would not obey them. They would run and look for their parents. In the same way, as children of God, we keep the commandments of our Father. But then the third theme is this. The children of God love one another. Oh, this is the way that we show that the love of God is in us by the way that we love one another. Therefore, John is calling the church back to these three basics of Christian life. Number one, true doctrine, that the children of God believe in Christ Jesus. Not that Jesus was was just another man, not that Jesus wasn't really the Messiah, but that Jesus was God. He was the Christ. And that is true doctrine. But also, John is calling the church back to obedient living, number two. 
right? That the children of God keep his commands. And then last, John is calling the church back to fervent devotion. The children of God love one another and show the love of God in the way that they love one another. You see, God is light. So Christ's followers overcome the pervasive darkness of the world because the one who lives in us, God's son, is greater than he who is in the world. And we see all of these themes wrapped up in succinctly in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1-3, through where it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commands. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. So there we see everyone, number one, who has good doctrine, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, has been born of God, 1 John 5, 1. Second of all, the children of God obey his commands, 1 John 5, verse 2. And then last of all, we know that we are children of God when the love of God flows in us and through other believers, 1 John chapter 5, verse 2. And so before we look again at the four verses of 1 John chapter 1, most people assume that the Apostle John wrote this book, but there is some debate. However, I want us to draw us to three simple reasons that I believe we can rest assured that this was indeed written by the Apostle John, the brother of James, a son of thunder, the son of Zebedee, and the one whom Jesus loved. First, the earliest Christian writers acknowledge that John is the writer. Arrhenius in 200, Clement of Alexandria in 215, and Tertullian in 220 all said and acknowledged that John was indeed the writer of this epistle. But number two, the writer identifies himself as an eyewitness of Jesus' early life. Huh, this is not a figurative stating when in 1 John 1.1 1, 1 it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Oh, you see, beloved, John wrote this epistle because he identified himself as a true eyewitness of Jesus' early life. It reminds us of what John said in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Then in verses 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. John was an eyewitness to Christ, as he describes in both volumes, which leads us to the third reason why I believe John is the author. The style and the wording are almost identical in the Gospel of John and in 1 John. As we read through 1 John, it sounds like an epilogue to the Gospel of John. Think about it. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. John 15 the parable of the, the, the vine and the fruit. Starting in verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. 
By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. And then we see almost the exact same themes, almost a reiteration in 1 John chapter 4, verses 13 through 16, when John says in this epistle, 1 John, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. It is important that we believe that the Apostle John wrote the letter of 1 John, because from the very first verse we look at today, the author asserts that he has authority to give assurance of salvation based upon the fact that he heard, he saw, he looked upon, and he touched with his hands the word of life, Jesus the Christ. So now with that introduction and with that background, let's look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. I want us to see five truths that we see in 1 John 1-4. through The first is that Christ has eternally existed with the Father. We see in verse 1, from the beginning. We see in verse 2, the words eternal life. You see, Christ is life. We see that John moves to calling Jesus the life in the beginning of verse 2. He will keep this throughout the epistle. Or even in 1 John chapter 5, 11 through 12, it says, And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. But not only is Christ life, he is eternal from the beginning. And this is the foundational truth that we find in the the Word of God. This is the doctrine that matters of the Bible. This is a a fundamental assertion, assertion that Christ has eternally existed from the beginning with the Father. Everything else will flow from this. Christ has existed without beginning from all eternity. But number two, Christ being fully God became flesh. Verse one, again, it said he, he heard, seen, looked upon, touched. Verse 2, made manifest. When God becomes a man, man ceases to be the measure of all things, and instead Christ becomes the measure of all things. It is simply intolerable to the rebellious hearts of men to think that God moved out of a spiritual reality into our physical reality. You see, when God enters into flesh and does it so with such perfection, it gives us a goal that we will never attain. Oh, but there is hope. There is hope in that Christ became flesh and dwelt among us because the only thing that can save a rebellious heart is the spellbounding grace of the gospel of God in Christ. That's why John in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. From from the fullness we all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. 
he has made him known. Christ, being fully God, became flesh and went to the cross so that ultimately we could see the third truth, and that is that we have obtained fellowship with the Father and with Jesus Christ the Son. John knows that he has the blessing of fellowship with Jesus. Jesus came to be the friend of tax collectors and sinners. He offers his fellowship to anyone who would be willing to, to, to lay down their life and follow him. Oh, to have fellowship with Jesus, we must fully trust him. And when we do, we gain fellowship, not only with Jesus, but also with God the Father. John says in his gospel in chapter 2, verse 23, No one who denies the Father, Son has the Father. No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father also. You see, fellowship with God comes only through Jesus Christ, His Son. Oh, beloved, what sweet assurance that when we are in Christ, then we have the everlasting presence of the author, creator, sustainer, and ruler of the universe because He is our Father. And this is the presence that the birth mother needs, the vulnerable and foster child needs. This is the presence of the true, that is the true hope of the orphan. Beloved, this is why we preach the gospel and manifest that gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. Because we know that it's through this gospel that they get the matchless presence of our Father. But that brings us to the fourth truth that we see from 1 John chapter 1, verses 1-4. through 4, And that is that we obtain fellowship with other believers through Christ. True fellowship doesn't come just when we get things, when we have things in common with one another. Allegiances to sports teams, familiarity because of shared experiences, and fraternal orders of similar interests will fade and leave one empty. But fellowship with the body of Christ and with other believers leaves us feeling full and healthy. I love what Paul says in Ephesians, really making the imagery towards husbands and wives. But he says this about the church in verse 25. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ became flesh to redeem the church and to create a family for those who follow him. Beloved, the church is the mechanism by which Christ came to redeem the world and to show the world his power, his love, and his justice. We must be about equipping, loving, and joining the church in a fellowship that will show the love of Christ to a world who desperately needs it. But that brings us to the fifth and the final truth we see from these verses, and that is that with Christ comes the fullness of joy and the richest delight. Oh, we find our true delight in Christ and his exaltation. John the Baptist is recorded as saying in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verses 28 through 30, a word about Jesus as Jesus was coming. Many would think that John, the forerunner of Jesus, would be sad or disappointed that his time had come and, and that Jesus was now taking the stage. But this instead is what John says in, in John chapter 3, verses 28 through 30. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices, has joy greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is complete. He, Jesus, must increase, but I must decrease. Beloved, true assurance comes in knowing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who existed eternally and became flesh in order to bring us fellowship with the Father and other believers. This is our joy, our boast, and our crown. 
And this is the joy that propels us to share this delight with a lost and dying world, with women in the midst of crisis pregnancies, with birth families separated from their children by foster care, and with the foster child, the vulnerable child, and the orphan. You see, true delight in Christ leads us to share of His excellencies, that in order that we may go so that He will increase and that we will decrease. And so, as a benediction, I love the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14-17, through when he says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Oh, with Christ comes a fullness of joy and the riches of delight. We find our true delight in Christ, but we also find our true delight when His name and His glory and His renown is exalted. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. Today we are praying for our Families Count program, a program which seeks to equip the local body of Christ to manifest the gospel to broken families through parenting classes. It's a, it's a program where the local church is teaching the state-mandated parenting classes to families who have either lost their children to foster care and are seeking to be reunited or those families who are at great risk of losing their children to the foster care system. So we want to praise the Lord for the new churches that he has brought on board in 2019. He has truly increased the territory of Families Count. We want to pray that he would cause us to steward these relationships well and to be effective in our communication with them. We also want to praise God for churches and ministries that have offered to host Families Count trainings. We ask that the Lord will go before us as we attempt to expand these trainings and, and to other regions in the U.S. We petition Him for the right churches to come and to be a part. We also praise the Lord for expanding our Families Count team. We ask that the Lord will continue to enrich that team, Erica and Leslie, Nate and Tracy, and for the Lord's anointing on them and for spirit-led leadership that honors Him. And we worship the Father for saving so many moms and dads and bringing them into His church through Families Count. We ask that the Lord would bring more souls and would save them by the atoning blood of Jesus. We pray specifically for moms and dads that he is pursuing, that their hearts would be fertile soil for his word and that his spirit would draw them to Christ. We pray for every provision that he has made for this ministry, that it would praise him. Oh, we petition the Lord for more parent leaders, for men and women who've been reconciled to him through this ministry that would minister to other parents and spread the gospel to them. And we pray that the Lord would bring reconciliation through His name for broken families, for families that are vulnerable, and families that ultimately need Him. Oh, Father, we ask that You would be with this ministry of Families Count. We pray that You would do a wonderful work through this ministry. We pray that this ministry would, would be a, a praise and a renown to You. Lord, we thank you so much for bringing new churches to bear. We thank you for these new partners and these new partnerships. Would you use these partnerships for your glory and for the reconciliation of families? Lord, we ask for more families and, and more churches and, and more trainers, that you would be praised by the expansion of this team, that you would be praised as more families and the right churches come on board and are helped through Families Count. 
Lord, we just also ask that you would continue to bring the right moms and dads into families count, moms and dads with fertile hearts of fertile soil for your word and your spirit, and that you would draw them to Christ, that they would see that Christ is the hope of all reconciliation. And Lord, we just thank you so much for every provision that you've made for this ministry. We pray that those provisions would go for your glory, for your name, in your namesake, amongst broken families and amongst broken children, and that you would reconcile these men, these women, these boys, and these girls through the blood uh, you shed at the cross, through the resurrection power that you had over the grave, and through the gospel that we celebrate and that reconciles us back to our Father. Lord, we ask that you would use this program of Families Count for your glory, for your honor, and your namesake. And it's to that end that we pray the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.